welcome to Garage Night. Uh, I am Randall. I'm Jeff. And I'm Andy. And this is the show where we talk about uh, all things automotive and whatever else seems to come to our minds, apparently. Um, so we're going to start off with a story about Morgan. Morgan is a, a well-known kind of bespoke automaker from the UK. Um, they make very interesting vehicles they make the the three-wheeled uh car that's two in the front one in the back uh with the big side pipes down it's a v-twin out front um air cooled that's really interesting but they also make somewhat more normal cars but they they harken back to the old the olden days uh with like the plus four the plus four is is uh one of their better selling vehicles and they've updated it but it looks the same uh so you guys uh read the same same thing i did what do you guys feel about the uh updates to the plus four i dig it man i you know as, as much as i like uh carbureted uh cars you know i dig the uh i dig the power plant they're using the little bmw engine in there and uh um, you know, all the revised suspension. I like that they're still using wood. I think that that's pretty neat, kind of homage to the original, but also, you know, uh, purposeful too, I think, you know, it's still lightweight construction, pretty neat. Um, I, I dig it. I don't know. I, I, I would, I'd probably drive one. That's exactly what I would expect. It's right in Jeff's wheelhouse as far as everything. What touch modern, but still some old school to it. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's it's built out of basically basically an aluminum frame, like body on frame. Basically, it makes kind of a tub and then connects the uh, subframes together. But the actual body, the passenger compartment, is made of wood that they you know skin everything else around uh, and put on top. Um, and they they recently updated it because uh, the outgoing plus four. I still ran some old technology. I mean, this looks like the rear setup on my Ford Ranger. Live rear axle, leaf springs, drum brakes. That's that's pretty old school. So they finally updated it. It's got independent suspension, discs, you know, all the all of the good things and they added uh power steering, ABS, uh LED headlights. Um all this sort of thing, and it's basically a brand new car, like almost a hundred percent change. And and as Jeff alluded to, they put the turbo two liter four cylinder from BMW in that, so that's going to be a great little high strung engine that uh, comes with a six speed manual. We were talking last week about what still had you know a manual in it, and this does that, but also you can get a eight speed auto if you want, but. I think that's some really good uh, upgrades to it. I think that'd be a fun car to cruise in. You know, it's it's got all like kind of the modern stuff that most people like, and then um, you know, it's something that you can you know drive every day and and still feel comfortable in. But it looks great. I don't know. I think it looks pretty fantastic. It looks yeah. like a classic car. They were able to keep the proportions, and since uh, this is a a roadster, you know, no top to speak of on it it you know doesn't have those big chunky pillars um i'm not sure if these are offered in the united states uh, come to think of it because i don't know how it would pass 
uh, crash safety, but perhaps it's um, small enough uh, of a producer that it's has an exemption. Uh, an interesting thought. I wonder if they uh, can be imported. I, love them uh, I, I feel like I feel like they make more of them than Koenigsegg makes hypercars. So they don't, oh. and they have conformed all the U.S. standards. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can even still still uh, get around it like that. But what what I thought was really interesting is the the the, the builders, the designers, uh, really had an interesting way of of looking at things. Is they had to do all of these changes and find a way to to package it in the old body and design without changing it too much. And they were talking about you know uh, you know all the intakes and exhaust for the for the turbo and you know this engine requires a lot more cooling so they had to find a way to to add radiator space without changing the design of the car you know without adding a bunch of obvious ducting and um you know making the grill bigger stuff like that so they had to you know find a way of kind of keeping it true while making these updates work you know it's funny i'm i'm toggling before between like a uh, an older Morgan, which I guess they kept these unchanged for quite a while. Um, they kept the production, it looks like, up into the 90s from what I'm seeing, um, with the kind of the classic body style. But, man, they look like the new one. They really kept it similar looking. But they, uh, you know, it looks like maybe the track width might be widened a little bit. It's hunkered down a little lower. It looks a little aggressive. It kind of added, you know, they threw a little spice at it, threw a little Cajun at it, made it look pretty cool. And uh, and gave it some some pep, and I think that'd be a really fun car. I mean, dude, that beats any of your uh, any of your like BMWs and your you know Miata Roadsters and stuff. Like, I'd rather drive that. That's way cooler. Also, yeah. side note, did they borrow the wiper assembly from an FJ Cruiser? Because that's terrible. I think that should go away. I mean, that's one problem with these smaller automakers is they have to source. <laughs> certain parts from from other uh, bigger companies and so you end up with yeah something like a land cruiser stock uh, but, which uh, i'm ideal. mostly talking about the three wiper blades but i guess that goes all the way back yeah that's well that's something that the fj you know the new one brought forward and you kind of have to have something like that when you have a windshield that's so wide but so short in height right right yeah, but yeah like I, the, I dig that. Yeah, things like steering wheels and gauges sometimes you uh, can't uh, source without, you know, prohibitive costs. But man, the inside of these look really good. These could be more bespoke uh, than I gave them credit for. But yeah, they uh, they also mentioned in the article that uh, they wanted to make sure that it kept feeling like a Morgan. They say. Um, uh, that they had an expression and they didn't mean it in a bad way that it was not going to be a Miata, which is absolutely sorted in every possible way. And I think this kind of goes back to when we talked about uh, my five series is, you know, what made that so much fun to drive? Well, it had a little bit of body roll. It, you know, it, it had kind of spirit. And I think what they're looking for is not a car that handles well, but the handle's okay, but feels good. Right, right. 
no, that, that makes total sense. Um, that's, that's the whole point of these cars, right? It's not, it's not to be the fastest around, you know, the ring. It's about, you know, the, the sensation of driving rather than it is the, you know, the ultimate performance of the machine, you know, and that's kind of something you and I talk about quite a bit. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's better to feel like you're going fast than it is to actually go fast, you know, like, like the Miata syndrome, you know, you're out driving around and you feel like you're just having a good time and you're still within the, you know, the legal limits of the law, you know, like you can have fun and you can enjoy yourself. You know, you got the top down and you're listening to the sounds of the engine and you're just, you know, you're enjoying yourself. You're not going, you're not racing, you know, you're not being Andy out on it with his Cobra out on the, on the, uh, you know, Willow Springs or something. You know, that makes me wonder, you know, Andy, you're, you're the most race car oriented driver of us. Like Jeff and I like to kind of push our cars a little bit, but you always chased, especially with the Sixer and with the Cobra, you, you chase performance, whereas we, you know, just kind of go more for a specific feel. So being the most sport oriented, how do you feel about vehicles like this, that they're not just a grand tour cruiser. They want a little bit more than that. What's kind of your feel about these halfway cars where they're not a, a track car and they're not even a, a corner car where they're just kind of this uh, back road delight. So this, this one you're, is probably coming out of left field, but this is one that I am glad that they offer with the, the, what was it? The eight speed auto. That's probably one that I would take with the auto. Um, it's, you know, not, it's, you know, peppy enough that it would be, you know, fun as a cruiser and, you know, pushing it a little bit, but I would enjoy it more with the auto than I could just, you know, drive it without having to really, you know, it's not one that I, I think I would really want to be rowing gears all day in. So I think I would take that in the auto version. Okay. I'm going to throw a, a wrench into it. Um, they do make a slightly bigger version of this called the plus six and it comes with uh, a little bit bigger engine it does zero 60 in uh, 4.2 and a top speed of 166 um so the the plus six i'm trying to see if i can find uh the engine okay it's got the bmw b58 it's the turbocharged inline six the three liter so that brings you up to 335 horsepower and 369 torque. And that's coupled to a ZF8 speed, which is probably the same in the four. Um, keeps That keeps the weight at 2,300 pounds. Um, so would you prefer to have that one? I would prefer to have that one, but I think I would still have to keep the eight speed. Yeah, this one only offers the the eight speed, which unfortunately comes with the BMW shifter. Um, I see that. Kind of, I was wondering if that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a real uh, BMW shifter. My my uh, X five is not far off of that. That's um, tragic. I hope that's not a real thing. I hope no. They, that oh no, that is that is it's all electric. There's no uh, mechanical <sighs> connection there. You know, I was all about this until I saw that. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, could, I could not do the auto just everything they did on this is so well executed but that shifter looks like it just came out of yeah no it shouldn't be on that car 
we can all agree on that. That car, that shift car deserves a better shifter. Yeah, but I don't know how you do it because that's that's a whole that's a whole system um, that's built so into that. Have a rocker because... switch built in, or is it a rocker switch, a trigger? What is it? Um, it's... You can put a facade over that, like put a put a wood knob over that and hide that. Hide yeah, that but all lane. of uh, all of the the when you look at this shifter uh, for these BMWs, it's it's a kind of a, a black uh, glass almost it's plastic, but it shows your park reverse neutral drive. And then sport to the left of that, uh, all of this lights up and does your indicator for your gear. Um, so it's all hugely necessary that it be kind of designed this way. They would have to do such a grind ground up, um, design that it would probably cost quite a bit. Um, What's but the overall, base price on one of these, by the way, for a, for the four or the six? Well, for the six, it's uh, about seventy five thousand uh, pounds. I'm not sure what that uh, is in U.S. numbers, but I can say that they are bringing the plus four and the plus six to the U.S. within the next year. Ooh. So they haven't been here, but they're coming here. They're probably going to put really ugly impact bumpers on it, and like door sills that go up way too high and all that stupid stuff that we have. Yeah. I wonder what they'll have to do to change. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on Morgan as, as it does that. But kind of my question to Andy is, does it change if you add another hundred horsepower to that car, you know, automatic to automatic, uh, the plus six being, you know, another hundred horse, does that change the way that you would kind of view the car? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I would. Does, just, does that become I, less of a cruiser to you, or more of a cruiser, being a, a bigger engine? I think probably more. Honestly, I would agree with that sentiment. Actually, I feel like a, a small, buzzy engine is you know it's the Miata thing. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you want to drive it fast. You want to be rowing gears. You know, yeah. And to get somewhere, it, you have to drive it a little bit harder. Yeah. Exactly. That's an interesting thought. I like that. Hmm. So I, I wonder if I that's... gut feel I would have thought the opposite. So what? Okay, so you think you would think that a, a bigger engine would be more sporty? Because I've I've been giving this a lot of thought actually uh, over the last few weeks is engine size versus how I treat it, and uh, you know it goes down to I, I got the idea originally for motorcycles. But then I started thinking about regular cars and I drive my six cylinder Ranger harder than I drove my Mustang or my BMW. And when I had, uh, you know, the four cylinder, uh, focus, I would generally acceleration wide. I drive that a little bit harder even. Um, and same thing with my motorcycles, the bigger the engine, I'm kind of easier on the throttle, uh, than my small displacement stuff. Interesting. I, I find myself being in a different ballpark. Like I, I, I drive that Chevy way harder than I should and have any right to. But when I drive my Falcon, I just kind of cruise around in it. You know what I mean? Like my Falcon makes 30 horsepower, maybe, you know, and I just, I just put around in it. But when I'm in the Chevy, I'm sliding corners. I'm doing stuff I shouldn't, you know, but on the bike, it's a little different. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. 
depends on the personality of the car. The suspension tuning, I think, has a lot to do with it. The way it holds gears has a lot to do with it. Kind of the the spirit, kind of that essence of the car, the way it kind of, like certain cars make you feel like you should drive them a certain way um, based on their kind of cumulative balance of power, uh, handling, braking, all of that, comfort in the seat, everything like changes how you drive the car. Like all of that affects our behavior, you know, like you see guys that drive BMW 5 Series, you know, especially the E39s, you know, they don't use their turn signals. They drive like just jackasses all the time. But, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, a lot of that is the car influencing the driver as much as it is the driver driving the car. You know what I mean? Like I drive my dad's, my dad had a 96 Tahoe and it had torsion beam front suspension, really slow, but it had, it had good power, but it was really encouraged you to drive really lazy. You just kind of putted around in it. You were comfortable, had really comfy seats. Whereas you hop in like, the Mustang and you suddenly want to go fast and you want to drive and you want to, you know, rip around like, you know, same kind of lazy torque V8, but it is different tuning, different seating position, different, you know, everything. So I, I think a lot of that comes down to the the car itself. You know, you don't really know until you sit in it and you drive it. Right. Did I lose everyone? <laughs> <clears throat> no, no, I think that's totally valid, you know, um, you know, as far as like me specifically, I mean, I, I can kind of agree with, with, you know, what you're saying there, you know, if you're a big car, you know, you're kind of just lazy about it, you know, like, eh, hey, whatever, you're just not cruising around. Um, like, you know, kind of back to what Randy was saying, I drive my focus, like every time I get it and drive it, I'm just on it. It's like, it's, it's my little commuter car, but I, I run that thing every time I drive it. Whereas my Mustang, I go out and I put around the net and drive around, you know, cruise around a bit. And then, you know, I'll get on it here and there, or, you know, I'll go out once in a while, you know, with the intent to actually drive it, but not as, not like I do the focus. When I get in the focus, it's always, I'm, I'm rowing gears, not nearly as much as I am in the Mustang anymore. I think that has to do with the big, powerful engines. Like you can't be on it all the time, or you're doing 110 on every road. Which is easy out here. <laughs> Why can't you do that again? Uh, these pesky uh, things called uh, laws. Laws, you know, government, you know, jail. Yeah, jail's not yeah. not not great. Yeah, um, they're more like yeah. guidelines anyway. <laughs> guidelines. <laughs> I, I will agree that you know, along with uh, you know what type of music you listen to, what you drive kind of changes how you drive it, like. I knew yes. when I got the the uh, the BMW, I'm like, well, I'll never use a turn signal again. Nope. Um, <laughs> and you haven't since. Uh, nope. Uh, no, I I do just because I'm I'm straight edge lame, but straight edge. <laughs> uh, but I do I do drive kind of uh, like like an a-hole when I drive the the BMW. Sometimes I try not to, but it's just kind of inherent. It in just it. happens. Also, when other people treat you like a BMW driver, you start acting like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. there's already the assumption, so you might as well just just you know lean into it. But the car, yeah. the cars do they, they handle so well, and they're so easy to drive, and they're they just have power, and they just want to go. They always have that feeling like they want to go faster, they want to go harder. You they're just have fleet to push footed. It. Yeah. Yes. And and since they handle so well, when you go into a corner, you end up catching the person in front of you because you hit that corner at forty five. 
and you're just, you know, one hand on the windowsill, the other one on the wheel and just, and just going around the corner and all of a sudden you come way up on someone because they took the same corner and their car got upset and they had to slow down and you didn't have to because yeah, your car they were in a just, box body and you were in a, you were an E39. I told you not to get in front of me. I, well, I don't know why you're so sour about it. <laughs> and you but, two yeah. keep screwing around in corners and meanwhile, I'm about two miles ahead. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, no, I know what you're saying though. Like, and that's, that's kind of the point I was getting at though, is, is it's, it depends on the car and the way that the car makes you, the car influences your driving style. Right. Yeah. And I, I think everything down to, you know, what p- other people consider the car to be, I, I think there's a lot of factors that go in uh, to something like that. So speaking of BMW drivers, uh, our next uh, story is about BMW. Um so they released the 8 Series because there's more numbers up. And I guess we needed a, a bigger bigger vehicle than the five seri- or the uh, 7 Series, excuse me. Um, so BMW has a n- number structure that makes sense, and then they ruin no, it. it. That's just what they do. <laughs> so the idea being the one and two series are one size car. And then the two series is the coupe and convertible version. And then the three series is the next size up sedan. Four series is the coupe and convertible. And then they go and say, oh, but this is the grand sport version of the four series. So it's also a four door, but it has a sloping roof line. And it's like they put all these things and grabbed salad tongs and just went yippee and just started throwing the salad everywhere. So <laughs> since it doesn't matter anymore, the A series is a coupe, but also a four door coupe and also this and that. And then they're doing the same thing with the X series, but they've, they've found a problem uh, with the eight series, which is, I guess they aren't marketing it properly. Uh, Cause although it's a halo car and a lot of people like it, no one's buying it and the dealers are not stoked about that because they have to keep them, you know, they have to buy them and keep them on their lot to try and sell. And a series buyers want all the bells and whistles. So they have to buy the ones with a little more, you know, uh, options on them. And that can get quite pricey. Some of these models top out at over $150,000. Jeez. Well, and they have to pay interest on on that, you know, because they they basically get them from the dealership, and then they have to pay interest while they're there, and then they you know pay them off when they sell them, uh, and that can be four or five hundred dollars every month for each eight series sitting on the lot. So if you've got half a dozen of them, you've got a million dollars tied up, and you know or at least a half a million dollars, if not more. And then you've got hundreds, thousands of dollars a month going away for them to sit there. Um, and they're they're talking about there's like 2,000 of these things sitting in dealership lots across the country, just in the U.S. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, man. They look a little goofy. Like, I really like the back end. I think the back three-quarter looks great. But that front end looks so weird. Well, the BMW's design language right now is is kind of going through a – new bangle stage we'll call it um bangles so uh, bangle was the last name of the of the man who created the flame surfacing design that showed in uh 
you know, the mid two thousands when they changed oh, sure. from the old to style to the new one with the flame surfacing. I call it the new bangle style because it's definitely uh, evolved from that. And it's also in this uncomfortable, awkward phase. It's like, well, we'll see how this ages and people aren't really liking it, but I think maybe it'll be fine come a few years down the road. That's like me uh, when I was I think, 14. Well, we're still waiting on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're causing a bit of a, a headache. And one uh, one dealer referred to this as the best car that no one knows about is the 8 Series. So it's it's a good car, but no one's buying them. So, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure out how to get them get them going because people aren't buying sedans people are buying um you know they're buying crossovers so they can sell the x7 nope no problem they can sell those forever you know at a, the same or a higher price but people just aren't buying sedans anymore is this kind of showing that bmw and luxury automakers might have to look at what ford's doing with cutting the sedans and you know, with GM cutting the crews, um, are are we going to start losing sedans uh, across the board now? Well, I think uh, you know I I've seen this trend with cars, and I, I it's it's unfortunate to me because I'm I'm like a car guy, like you guys are. I mean, car, truck, whatever, anything interesting, I like. But if you start to weigh practicality, uh, and, and that starts to become something that factors into the equation of what you're buying rather than passion or rather than, you know, just interest, um, you know, people gravitate towards SUVs and crossovers because you get relatively the same fuel economy as a, as a nice performance car or something interesting, you know, or a luxury car, but you get more space, you get the captain's seating position, you sit up high on the car. Um, you know, you can carry your dog and your kid you're in relative comfort. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's different, you know, like they're, 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 you know, and they're relatively the same price. So why would you, why would you get something with less functionality when you can get something with more for the same amount of money? Um, that said, I feel like the eight series should be appealing to kind of a different market of buyer than that. You know, maybe someone who has more money, excess money to spend, wants to buy something nice, um, so, you know, maybe it's a tale of mismarketing. Maybe it's a tale of like a sign of the times where people are, are moving towards those kind of more practical cars. Um, like, you know, like, and both of you guys are good examples of that, right? Like, um, not so much Andy, cause he, he changed back to a, uh, a, a kind of a wagon style with his, you, you bought the Mazda three. Um, but you had previously bought a Hyundai SUV crossover and Randy, you had bought an SUV. You just bought an X5. I've had, I've had a couple of them now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, the, you know, I wouldn't have the one. Mazda's probably. not even a hatch. Mazda's a sedan. Oh, is it a sedan? Okay. Yeah. So you guys don't have an SUV at this point. No. And you find that probably hindrance in some ways, right? Because you can't carry as much. I can't carry as much, but I mean, as far as functionality wise, like we loaded up all of our stuff. Me, wife, kid. Um, baggage with two dogs, including the big dog, you know, to drive back to Portland, you know, and it's still not an issue. So I can't say that it's hindering me at all. Sure. 
Well, it's one of those things that you think about, like, you know, for, for, again, for most of automotive history, there haven't been wagon sales being very large or, or, you know, any type of crossover SUV things being incredibly popular until the most, you know, probably the last 20 years where people have been trading that, that style and that, you know, that kind of, I don't know, interesting design for something more practical in their mind. So I think we're, we are losing some of that, in my opinion, um, to that, you know, the, the large market share and the, the big dollars and, and high volume stuff comes from those SUV sales, which is exactly why I think Ford went that direction uh, with their car and their approach, uh, their, their sales, you know, removing their car lineup. I don't know, Andy, what do you think? Sorry, you lost me. Do you, do you, did you have any thoughts on, on that story or, or anything that uh, Jeff was kind of uh, playing at with any of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, looking at the, at the 8 Series in specific, you know, it's, I just don't, I don't see a lot of them moving, honestly. Do you yeah, think I'd... that the car market buyer for somebody, you know, being a $150,000 car, do you think they're going to gravitate towards something maybe a little more high end than like the nicest BMW can buy? Would they, would they move towards, you know, something more like a, a, a Jaguar, a Maserati or something a little more exotic, a little more appealing maybe? Do you think BMW I, yeah, I, is... I see, you know, at the end of the day, you're still, you know, like I, I just priced one and an M8 competition and it came out to 170. And I'm thinking for 170, there's a hell of a lot more I can buy than a top of the line BMW. You can get right. a two-year-old, you get a, a 488 Italia for that kind of money, like a, a used one. Yeah. There, yeah, there's there's a lot of other options. So you know, I it's, just... It's an interesting looking car for sure, but for the price, not not in the realm. I think it's more of a, it's geared towards a diehard BMW person who wants the, who wants the BMW moniker still. So it's... It's kind of funny. I just finished a uh, recording uh, podcast. You guys will see on Monday for Retrotech talking about Franklin cars. And actually, the car that ended Franklin was their last car that they developed, which was both a uh, bad choice in in um, in I guess direction for design and the product they put to market, and also a, a reflection of the times, which uh, was right around the Great Depression. And they basically produced this massive uh, luxury vehicle uh, with a uh, enormous 12-cylinder engine when people were just coming out of the Great Depression. No one was spending exuberantly yet, and uh, it, it basically led to the downfall of the company. I don't think that's going to be the case with BMW, but I think if we're, if we're really looking at what's going on right now in the world, especially with more recent developments with the virus and things going on, like this is probably the wrong car right now for, for BMW to be releasing um, kind of at the wrong time. And it doesn't really hit the right market. You know what I mean? Like, like we were talking about people looking to spend $170,000 aren't going to want to go to their BMW dealership to buy it. They want that experience of, of something different, a little more high end. Um, they're trying to make a statement. If they're buying a two door sport car, sport luxury car they want something a little more exotic now I, I think we probably saw the same thing with the lexus right they have that 
Um, is it the is it the SC or RC five hundred? It's the it's the whatever that one that they made that was like a I don't know it was like a hundred thousand dollar car, some two door sport car that they were making for a while. Um, it might have been the RCF. I thought it was a five hundred something, but it was kind of a similar concept and approach. Um, but again, I think it kind of misses the mark, and I, I I think that's unfortunate because I really think that those are probably some of the best cars you can buy as far as like driving experience. They've got the luxury. They're two door. They're just all about driving and being a comfort. They're really the epitome of grand touring without being kind of that snobby, like, Oh, I drive an Aston Martin or whatever, you know, like they're, they're kind of down to earth. They're probably good value for money. They're probably reliable. You know, you don't have to deal with some of that, some of that stuff that comes along with exotic car ownership that is a little less um, desirable. So I don't know. That's my thought. I'm rambling now. Randy, what do you think? I mean, that, that's kind of my thought is I was just wondering uh, if it's if it's just marketing or if it's the wrong vehicle at the wrong time. Uh, and just the fact that the, you know, the X7 is selling well, but the 8 Series is not, I felt was more kind of a, a changing of the times affecting all the way up to that because people have no problem spending over $100,000 on a BMW. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think the place in the market is wrong. I just think for whatever reason, I, I, I guess it's just not getting there. The slightly more stylized. I think if you're going to get a big BMW sedan, you don't want that sloping roof line. You want the proper seven series that you can put people in the back of. Cause I think that's who buys seven series is people who want to sit in the back of it. Um, but we'll go ahead and, and transition to something with a less, um, less ideal back seat. Uh, and I don't know we'll what talk... you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Fox body Mustangs. Uh, you know, we all, we've all had one at one point. If you really want to consider the Fairmont. Uh, uh, so the Fox body Mustangs were around from 1979 to 1993. They were a major styling departure, um, but they're starting to come back into style and really be valuable. So with people trying to sell them, Ford is, is kind of seeing that and they're offering a, a neat little uh, sales incentive for, for Fox body owners and people who want to, you know, keep documentation and, and maybe possibly sell theirs and just a neat little thing for automotive enthusiasts. So they're, they're selling the original window sticker, uh, right. As, as something that they're going to be offering. Yeah. So you, you, uh, send in your VIN and then they will, uh, bring up all the information. They will reprint an original window sticker, uh, for any, uh, Mustang produced from 1987 to 1989. Now I think the idea is that they'll eventually do, you know, a, a larger, larger swath of them, but at least for now, that's, that's really, uh, uh, fun. I wish I could have had that for the bullet cause I didn't have the original window sticker. And, you know, even if it's not like the original one, which is, you know, ideal still to kind of see what it looked like, um, would be a, a, a fun thing to have for, you know, any automotive nerd, uh, such as us. So, 
I know it doesn't cover uh, Jeff's 91, but if they uh, extend this forward a little bit, do you think you'd end up ordering one of these? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, that'd be pretty cool. Um, I, I find it interesting, you know, and, and I, I know I'm, I don't know how many Ford span, fans we're speaking to, but I know you guys can agree with this. If you compare the response from Ford to Chevy in terms of aftermarket support, Ford has trailed for years. Uh, Chevy has offered all types of fun stuff, you know, crate engines, uh, performance packages, uh, handling kit, all types of interesting stuff. And Ford's really lagged in that regard. Only more recent years have you seen more crate engines start popping up. They're starting to offer their Coyote motor as a package. You can drop in other vehicles and stuff. And it's good to see them start transitioning into this because I've, I've always thought for years that they've really missed the mark in supporting the aftermarket for some of these cars that are enthusiast cars. Um, so it makes me happy to see them starting to embrace that a little more, um, you know, uh, so that, I don't know, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I, I, yeah. Andy, do you think they'll, uh, end up kind of extending this all the way up or is this, or is this going to stay small if this, uh, crept up to, oh, say 2000, uh, would you would you want to order something like this? Oh yeah, I'd order one if it, if they made them available. Sure, <clears throat> I I was surprised that they only did it for a couple of years for the Fox bodies, not all of the Fox bodies. That is kind I of wonder if I wonder if they're testing the waters and kind of see if they can get you know some sales because it's uh, sixty dollars plus tax and shipping um, to get one, which you know you only have to buy it once, and you know. Sure keep track sure. of it and it'll be good and you know have it laminated for a couple more bucks and you're always good but i think they're testing the water to mm-hmm. see if this is kind yeah, of possibly a, a it's that they can offer. possibly just testing but like it's such a small range mm-hmm. for there's testing definitely, in, in my opinion and, and what i've seen i think there's a lot more of the 90 to 93 cars surviving than some of the earlier ones and i think that's because of the speed density coupled with the tilt steering, um, the tilt steering on those Fox bodies was very problematic. And so a lot of those would get loose and start to wiggle around and they wouldn't, you know, people would just, they're hard to fix or expensive to fix. So people just kind of eh, throw them away or whatever, you know, just they, they stop driving the car and then they sit. And so I, I don't know, just in my experience, I've seen a lot more of the more of the later Fox bodies still running around, still driving than I do some of the early cars. So it might've been the wrong, segment to test it out with but it'll be interesting to see you know i think they'll hit the enthusiast market okay so i just thought that was that was a pretty interesting thing it's a shame it doesn't extend a little bit farther out but i i think that's just pretty pretty neat pretty neat how neat is that just a neat bit bit of kit Okay, and I think next we're going to move into what we've been working on. So, who's been who's been driving? I've got something garage related though not a car. Um Jeff, what do you got? Okay, I can I can start. Um 
So, uh, as you know, I've been uh, getting the Bronco ready for paint, and I dropped it off at the Painters this weekend. We went over, uh, me and uh, Shelly and my buddy Alex went over there. Um, I brought Alex to help me take the top off for the first time ever in the history of the truck being on this earth. Has The top, never, top has never been off, and it came off today, and... We were all fearful that there might be rust underneath the top where it had, you know, where it had never been repainted, but took that thing off and good as gold, man. It looks great. You know, no rust in the seam. Seals were unbelievably still pliable, um, you know, all really good news. And it wasn't that heavy. So uh, pretty happy to see that. We uh, pulled the grill off, pulled the bumpers off. You know, basically the thing is just ready to sand down and shoot. Um, now we're just hoping that because of the virus going around, we can actually go get paint and they don't lock us down um, by tomorrow. So if if we don't hear anything by eight tonight, we'll probably be all right uh, to meet up tomorrow and buy some paint. So that's good. Um, on my list of stuff to do this weekend, um, I had fixed the Mustang because it wouldn't go through DEQ. So uh, I, I pulled it in the garage after the Bronco was dropped off and... Uh, uh, at first I washed it, which, you know, I scrubbed all of the, uh, all of the algae that had been building up in the windows and all the pollen and just junk and nastiness that had been on it. And man, that thing cleans up good. You have to throw a picture on the Instagram or something. That car looks so nice when it's all done up. Um, but, uh, um, anyway, I, uh, I pulled it in, put it up on uh, ramps and crawled under it today. And I was, you know, I knew one of the collectors was leaking a little bit, so I was like, that's probably what it is. So I crawled under there, and I cinched up the collector uh, studs, and I started it up, and it was kind of sticking my hands around the exhaust and feeling for leaks, and I found one right at the cat. There was a hole in the cat from where I'd bottomed out a few times, and I welded that up, and, you know, I'm like, okay, that that looks pretty good. And, you know, I, I leave it running, and I walk around to the back, and I stick my hand under the driver's side tailpipe, and it's puffing out pretty good, and I stick it under the passenger side, and there's, like, nothing coming out. I'm like, what the hell's up with that? And I stick my head underneath there, and there's a big old fat hole right on the tailpipe, uh, right where it wraps up and around the axle. Big old rust hole there. So I was like, oh, great. You know, and I, I dig through my pile of metal that I have laying around, and uh I found a couple of two, two and a quarter inch pieces of mandrel, but they're, they're not bent in the right shape and I don't have a tube bender. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to wing this shit. It's already at the end of the tailpipe. It's probably not that hot. So what is I, what do I do? I wrap it in uh, gorilla tape. So, you know, uh, I think I win the roadkill fix of the week for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, believe it or not, that actually worked and is holding pretty well. And I, uh, Drove it around the neighborhood once, uh, you know, um, and it seemed okay. It didn't seem to off-gas or do anything weird or get super hot. So um, hoping that'll give me enough to get through DEQ. And maybe I could drive it to the exhaust shop once this virus thing's over and uh, can get that thing all tagged up and registered uh, when DEQ opens up again. Um, last thing on my list, I, uh, I was going around this weekend filling the cars up, making sure they had gas. And uh I noticed I was walking around the Chevy. Uh, I was picking up a package at my parents' house, and um, they uh, one of the taillights was out. So I uh, I pulled it out and like I I had wired this whole car up myself, and I had bought a bunch of reproduction style plugs that plug into the back of the lenses and the housings and stuff. And and two of the ears on the on the on the plug that I had put in there had broken off, and it's one of those snap fit style plugs. They've got like little sprung ears, and you snap them in through a hole. They're kind of like a panel mount. 
Um, and two of them were broken off. So it was really tricky to get that thing in there. And of course, no, you know, no one has any right now. And, um, the place I bought them from is out of business. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I might have to order, order a, a replacement, but for now this will work. So what I did was I, uh, I got it all, all, um, you know, popped back in there and I, I, uh, got a different bulb, put it in there. It was kind of tricky, you know, with everything the way it was, but I uh, swapped out from a 2057 light bulb to an 1157, put it on both. They run a little bit higher juice on the marker lights, which is pretty nice. So my marker lights were already pretty dim. So this kind of brightens them up a little bit. So that was kind of a good move, I think, to go that direction. I could have gone with a 2357. They, they're they a little bit higher uh, uh, amperage on the, uh, on the stoplight and the brake light, but they don't last as long. So kind of a trade-off there between taillight bulbs um but uh anyway nothing super super big um just mostly the the big item was getting that bronco taken over there and pulling the bumpers and stuff off of that that was pretty cool to see looks pretty good with the top off for the first time so uh you know i'm pretty excited to see that thing get done so uh crossing my fingers hoping paint turns out really good if so i'm gonna give uh give the dude a shout out here and uh see how everything goes so that's it for me how about you guys now, now, what I want to know is, did you find the BB or marble, whatever was in the top when you took it off? <laughs> no, I didn't. We didn't. We didn't dig around for it yet. But I, uh, oh, I, I was talking to the dude, and I said, "Hey, man, uh, you know that thing's rolling around in there. If you got time, you know, try to swing that thing out of there." So I'm excited to see what comes out of there. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a, a pretty nice size marble. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll put it on the dash or something. Leave it up there as like a a big F you to the kid who tried to break my windows out. <laughs> I think that was actually before Jeff was even around. That might've been back when my dad was, uh, was, you know, driving the thing. So I, I, that's been in there ever since I've been around. So for those don't, who don't know, there's, <clears throat> there's, uh, the, the back on those Broncos come off and it's a hollow fiberglass enclosure. And at some point, something spherical got into that void on one side and so occasionally you could hear it rolling around when he would drive around you if you're in it you could hear it kind of roll and uh that would that would have driven me up the wall i, I thanks for giving them some context randy uh, yeah that that was uh the truck was always a really nice quiet driving truck on the road despite it's kind of loud exhaust it was really nice to be in I say was because I pulled all the interior out of it. And now it's the loudest thing I own. But before it was really nice and quiet. So when you go around a corner, you can hear this little, you know, this little rolling ball and then it hits a stop and then it rolls the other direction. We go around the other corner and it hits a stop, you know, and you're just like, huh, that's pretty annoying. But uh, I guess at least it's not a squeak or a rattle, but still it's, you know, knowing it's up there, you're just like, come on, man, I could, that could go away and be, I'd be fine with that going away forever. So uh, be kind of cool to find out what it was and, and hang on to it. Yeah. Well, you got a lot going on. We'll just yeah. keep, uh, keep posting updates and, and, uh, see how, see how it goes. I'm looking forward to seeing it all, all done up. And it's good that you're finally getting the Mustang back out. You're going to have a lot, a lot of vehicles to choose from this summer when weather gets nice. Yeah. As long as we're not on lockdown, I think I'll be, uh, it'll be pretty nice. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. Uh, we'll we'll be optimistic here this week. Um, yeah, uh, I got a little bit of time to work on something in my garage. Uh, again, nothing really needs done with the vehicles that are here. Um, 
but I have a uh, dirt bike that I need to work on. So cleared out the garage a little bit more, um, got more stuff organized, actually got my tools uh, put away and, and organized, had my son help me with that and um, decided, you know what, we're actually going to work on something for a change. So I uh, pulled out my uh, CRF 250R. It's a 250cc four-stroke dirt bike. And uh, kick it over, and it starts, but it won't idle. And if you try and touch the gas at all, it uh, it shuts right off. So I'm like, okay, bad fuel. The uh, One of the jets is, is uh, stuck, no problem. So... Uh, what this entails to pull the carburetor off of this off of this bike, unless there's a mechanic listening that goes, no, it's easier. Um, I had to remove the seat, the fuel tank, and disconnect the sub the rear subframe, uh, which is what the airbox sits in and the back of the seat sets on and it holds the uh, the muffler. So I had to disconnect all that and pull that off. Took me and my son about an hour to disassemble because I was, you know, I had him learn all the sizes and all the tools and he could run and grab me stuff. And I showed him how everything worked. So it was a, it was a good time with the kid. Um, so we, we got it all apart and I went to go pull the, uh, carburetor out and, uh, it turns out I would have had to remove the rear shock as well with, from the linkage. And I decided, you know what, I can get to most of the stuff here. So I turn it and I start pulling the screws off of the float bowl on the bottom. And two of them are just stripped, absolutely stripped out. Uh, I tried to get some vice grips onto the edges of them and it just kept slipping off. And I went, you know what, if I don't get this back to together today, it won't get back together. So I kind of did what I could. I, I was able to move the car around quite a bit. Um, but without taking that linkage off and both of the throttle cables, cause it's got a push and a pull, um, and, uh, one other, uh, cable, if I didn't remove all of them, it wasn't going to come apart, uh, really come out. And then I would have had to try and still get those two screws out. So instead of doing that, I got, I got the float bowl as empty as I could from the old gas, which was yellow and definitely smelled unfavorable um and just started hitting it with carb cleaner you know just open it up hitting the needle um you know around the needle putting it into the overflow uh for the float bowl to try and get it sucked up in there a little bit and just kind of getting what i could out of it um so we spent quite a bit of time monkeying with that and then proceeded to uh put it back together uh, you know, the whole time, just hoping it worked, uh, get everything back together, double check all the bolts and start it up, uh, pulled out the kicks, the, uh, Kickstarter, two kicks, three kicks, 10, 20, 30 kicks later, I decide, you know what, I'm going to give it a minute. Uh, waited about five minutes and then 10 more kicks and it started to, to fire just needed primed. Uh, I got it to the point where it started and would idle with the enrichener on. So with these Makunis, it doesn't have a choke per se. Um, it has an enrichener. So instead of choking off the air, it literally 
uh, allows more fuel to be fed in to act as a choke. Um, so with that on, it started high idle, let it run for about three minutes with that high idle. Every time I would turn the enrichner off, it would die. So I left it on, try and get it good and warm. I started smelling better. Um, and I'm now to the point that I can turn the enrichner off and keep it alive with the throttle. Um, but it won't uh, completely idle on its own. So after conferring with my dad, who has rebuilt dozens of motorcycles, uh, he believes the pilot jet, the pilot jet, is still partially occluded. So I'll either try again when I have a little bit more time, try and get that carb completely off, order some, you know, some new screws for it, and uh, try and get all the jets out and clean them out individually, or likely uh, just take it out to the track and uh, ride it hard. Give it the and Italian tune-up. Exactly. Just try and blow that crap out of there because that works nine times out of ten. Um, so that's, that's the goal. And uh, with the valve problems on that bike, you end up learning to ride it without it being able to idle for more than a fraction of a second. So this is nothing new. Um, it's just acting the way it did before I uh, reshimmed the head. So, I'm just a. I'm just. I got I. I'm so amazed that you own a carbureted anything. You know. Well, that's because the uh, especially at the time when I got this motorcycle, they had just come out with uh, EFI motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't. Just... You couldn't get an EFI dirt bike until uh, around uh, the tens. That's just so not your style. I'm surprised you haven't retrofitted it with the fuel injection from like a, a 2010. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be worth uh, doing all that because it, it's all completely different. You would just buy a newer bike, but this bike has uh, it's been with me a long time now, and I just I like it, and I know how to work on these ones. The idea, everything is smaller and more accessible, and I was able to do this. You know, it's. It's just the size that I can I can more easily deal with. Um, that said, if I get the chance to upgrade, I probably will, um, because the idea of having a mappable ECU on a dirt bike that I can change, you know, and have have it react differently on a trail versus on a track, and have the fuel the power delivery where I want it, that sounds really good. Right, um, but. At this point, this Makuni is something I can I can handle. Well, I think I can. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned dirt bikes because I actually pulled mine out of the shed today and fired it up, and uh, I'm going to start this next week rewiring it. So, um, I've still had issues with mine when I turn it off, and or or not even when I turn it off. Sorry, when I lean it to the side, sometimes it will decide to turn off on its own, and it's got non-insulated connectors everywhere and everything's corroded so i think it's a good time to do that on mine just needs a refresh yeah this is terrible time for you guys to be talking about bikes because now i want one again <laughs> yeah we uh we need to do a, a bike section again pretty soon so start you know keeping your ear to the ground we'll uh we'll go through our our dream rides of bikes in the coming weeks i think that's coming up on our docket so we'll, I agree. That, that needs to happen. 
hey for those who enjoyed it maybe we'll uh fit in another bike night uh, i've got a couple uh couple more people that want to come on and, and talk bikes so we'll see about getting another bonus episode up um well if that's all we have for rides does anyone else have any other questions comments concerns I had a lots of lots of concerns, I'm sure, but yeah, well, yeah. just my own sanity. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you guys. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, um, and I was thinking, you know, patina is something that I obviously like, and you guys have made fun of me for. But is that something that uh, I don't know? It seems like it's something that's very subjective you know what is patina what level is acceptable you know uh, what do you guys think of it you know I, i'm i'm a big fan of you know there uh, of good patina um but there's a borderline where where patina becomes kind of a rat rod and i think my car is kind of at that threshold you know where mine's kind of rat rod but kind of patina it's kind of a in between it's it's a little close to rat rod for what, exactly what i like but there's some cars that you see that have like nice worn through paint, you know, look up any icon derelict car and they have nice worn paint, but it, it, it kind of showing some of the oxide primer coming through that looks really nice. But, um, you know, what does patina mean to you guys? And is it something that you guys appreciate in the car? Do you hate it? Do you think, man, that, that Chevy needs fresh paint or, or do you appreciate it for the time and the place that, and the history that that paint holds? What do you guys think? I'll, I'll take that. So my, my thought is it's a very, it's a, it's a very clear line for me of, um, I can appreciate it if, you know, it's, it's actually like an original paint job that's worn down and been beaten down over time. And, you know, that's, that's, it's been left and it's still that way, or if it's been, you know, like cleared over and preserved to be that way, I'm fine with it. I think it's neat, but going to the extent of creating that, you know, like with intervention, you know, like going to an extent to create that, not it just naturally being over time, not a big fan. So you're saying you don't like faux patina, but you like authentic patina. Yeah. Yeah. Authentic, you know, something that's, you know, it's it's been worn you know it's not been just created to you know for that look like yeah you can do that with a vinyl wrap now to make it look that way and i not a, but something original that's been worn down over time and you know even if it's been preserved being cleared over or something like that sure I, I, i'm good with that but what's what do you feel is patina to you is it just worn paint does it become something more patina, more than patina when it becomes cancerous rust? Like, where do you draw that line? Is it chips in the paint? And also, what do you think about it being on cars that are more modern, like a 80s GMC pickup? Is that cool? Or does it have to be on the certain car? I don't think it has to be on a certain car. Obviously, I'm not going to say patina on a 2000 Honda Civic that's, been, that's had an acid bath is neat. But <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, it's just... Basically, you know, how it's just been, how it's worn, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. What about you, Randy? Randy, what do you think? I I was over here nodding um, pretty much the whole time he was speaking. For me, I can't stand artificial patina. Yes. 
Um, I have a pretty loose definition on patina and it's kind of, it kind of changes by the day almost because what is patina is a, is an interesting question. And I want to pose this to you guys. So is this patina on my Ranger, which was repainted eight years ago last, um, one spot on the passenger side door where the window the passenger window meets the door skin um it wasn't properly prepped and the paint is starting to bubble and chip off there um and so that's developed some of that chipped off and has over the last couple of weeks developed some rust is that patina i would say Uh, yes it's it you know it's it's it naturally happened. The right it's the way, paint, sure, the paint but... coming off, and it's and it's surface rust. Yeah, uh, you know, caused by time and wear. Um, but it's only eight years old. Is eight years old patina, and the car is only uh, sixteen years old. Is that patina? I don't. I don't think it has to be necessarily a time frame. You don't have to put a timestamp on it to qualify it as patina. I think that I think that you're right. It is patina, and I don't, I'm not going to deny that. But let's let's make a distinction here. What is patina that is pleasing to the eye, and what is patina that is displeasing? Right. That that becomes a more vague kind of uh, I don't know something a little more in the realm of taste than it is definition right like so no one all thinks patina is good patina there is bad patina i would say so would you guys agree sure i think like, there's plenty of I'm, I'm a little bit stricter than you on that uh yeah. even because i think that it's not patina on my truck i will actually i'm i'm of a different thought i'm well that was just bad workmanship is how I feel, but something that's been around as, as long as a fifties car, you don't expect that to have survived. You know, that took a long time. And despite someone's best efforts, it failed. You know, what I feel happened on that, that door panel on my truck is because the rest of the truck is pretty clean, but there's that. And there's a couple of, you know, door dings and scratches that, that are patina, but I think that that specifically is not patina, but bad workmanship. But think about this for a second, though. Back in the 50s and 60s, and the cars that we typically associate with patina cars, um, you would find paint thicknesses vary drastically from panel to panel. So you could have a door with incredibly cool-looking, in my opinion, patina, lots of primer and oxide throwing showing through. Then you have a fender that's perfectly fine. But they came off of the same assembly line. They rolled off the car together. They've been untouched since the day that they were put together. And you know, I don't that, like that. You don't I, like I that. Would, I would say that's, you know, again, uh, please no one get offended. This is a highly subjective mm-hmm. uh, sub, you know, subject. And I don't like that. Even, even from, you know, a, a distance, not just I wouldn't want my vehicle to look like that. It's I don't think it looks good on anything when you've got like a nice fender and then a bad door it because it's not a cohesive look anymore sure sure what about okay so what what era of cars look good with what we consider to be nice patina is it 
Does it end in the seventies? Do do you like does like a nineteen eighty eight like Nissan Sentra with peeling clear coat that's original look pretty cool? Or do we think that only like cars from like nineteen seventy and earlier look good with patina? Or maybe is it earlier than that? Is it fifties and forties cars? What do you guys think? I think it depends on design language and the specific vehicle. If you look at um nineties Dodge and Ford and some Chevy pickups, they can look, you know, kind of old farm patina sort of a thing. And some of it is clear coat peeling off of, you know, you know, just the fenders and, you know, a little bit on the beds. And that can definitely have kind of a patina to it. For me, I feel it's when the design language goes round rounded again like a 2001 um, uh, Ford Taurus, the bubbly one with peeling clear coat is not attractive. Uh, But again, that's not a classically attractive vehicle. So I think that it really depends. And also again, like a, like a seventies Lincoln um, town car or, um, a Continental doesn't look good with patina, like of of any sort. Like that sort of vehicle, it doesn't fit for me. But you can even go into the eighties and, like for me, something weird like a Starlet that has patina is like, oh, that's like an old forgotten vehicle that people don't think of. Those little turbo Starlets. Oh, look, here's one. But it kind of makes it feel like it got forgotten and someone brought it back instead of this is just a daily driver that has been poorly taken care of. And that might be, I might've just hit on what does it for me is was something just poorly maintained or was something forgotten and is finally getting to be used again. Maybe that's what I like about patina is, Oh, this is something that was going to waste away, but now it's got kind of a second chance versus just being in the UV rays for too long and, you know, salted roads. So, so would you say something like, I'm, I'm going to use my own cars because I have two cars that have a pretty nice, in my opinion, patina on it, right? My Falcon was repainted probably in the 60s and it's got a nice, you know, layer of Bondo on the entire car. But it's over the years and many years, it's been kind of flaking off and it's got little rust spots and dents and nicks and scratches in it. Would you consider that an attractive patina, even though it's, you know, old, maybe the, not the best quality workmanship. Whereas my Chevy sat in the sun for, and and the Falcon, let's say has served its life and continue to serve people and just worn as it's gone along. Whereas the Chevy, that's that's not a lack of care. That was, even if you cared for that thing short of repainting it, Mm -hmm. um, I think even proper maintenance that, that car would have stayed looking that way. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, that's a lack of care. If it was half its age, maybe, but mm-hmm. it is that old. I don't, I don't expect anything that old to look, you know, perfect unless it was garaged. And even then. So what about, okay, what about, let's, let's do this. Um, is there a car you would prefer with its original paint and patina that is older uh, would you prefer that over a fresh paint job? 
Because I know the answer for me, and you guys both know the answer for me, that that's not for me, or else I would have made the Chevy perfect. But for you guys, that answer could be completely different. And I, I'm kind of guessing Andy, it might be. Andy, what do you think? I need a minute to think about that. Newer is always better. Always? So you would, would you repaint a nice original paint car, even if the paint was a little faded, and it was special, and it had all that history associated with it, you would think that a new paint job over the top of that would be better. That's hard. See, that's hard to say. Because For me, what, what it, color? It would really depend on the car. It's a case-by-case case thing. If it's something that's super rare and it's more valuable to keep how it is, I'd keep it how it is. Is it is it yeah. only value, or is it Just, value to you? Like... Do you find like let's say let's let me let me pose a question for you, okay? Let's say let's say that my Falcon was all original as it rolled off the factory from day one, you know, mint, right? Just straight, but it paint was all worn out, right? But it had I had cool memories attached to it. It had history. You could see that in the paint, and it wore it every single day with pride that it had this worn paint that just was representative of all of the service and all of the time it's been on this earth. Would you paint over that and just say fresh slate, keep it going on the road, keep it nice and fresh, keep it going? Or do you say embrace what's there, preserve what's there, and and and, and keep that as kind of a token to what what life it's served? Something like that, I would leave if it's you know if it was original like that. You had it that whole time and all that. You've got the history with it. That I would leave. Hey, hey, Jeff, would you leave it or would you repaint it? That's a good question because I'm right now on the verge of repainting it, but I've been hesitant because I love the history of it. So I'm but also you, at but... a at a dilemma in that I love the way it looks and I love seeing it and I love seeing this history and driving it around. And, and but at the same time, I don't want it to get worse and I don't want it to rust and I don't want it to turn into what my Chevy became, which is this rusty pile of garbage. So it's a trade off, right? Because I use the car. I enjoy the car. It had bad body work done on it at one point. It was hit at one point. So, you know, part of me wants to make it right and then continue to love it as it, as, as this new form. But at the same time, I also like embracing what it is now because I, I've enjoyed and grown it, enjoy, enjoy it as it is now so much, you know, it's a really hard. I don't, I don't approve of gotcha journalism, but I asked that question because aren't you literally doing that right now with the Bronco? I kind of am. Yeah, I kind of am. Cause I mean that, that is the original, you know, that's the original paint color. It's got all of those, those memories tied up in it. It's been that way as long as you've owned it and way longer. And you know, it's not super bad. It's just got some spots here and there, but you're going to strip it completely down and yeah. repaint it. But don't you want, you know, don't you want to keep it that way? I think that's kind of what it is, is I think that kind of just shows that it's not a, you can't really come down on one side or the other on it. It's such it's a true. case by case basis that you with your proclivities are on both sides of the fence Yep. and on the fence all at the same time with your Chevy, you're not going to repaint it. That's nope. history. That's staying that way. That way the, the Bronco, it's got all that history, but you're not going to lose the history by repainting it. And you know that mm-hmm. and you want it to be nice. So you're going to repaint it out of respect for it. And then with the Falcon, you are literally sitting on the fence trying to see which side you fall mm-hmm. that you've been on each side of. So yeah. like you are, 
not just a duality, but you know, a, a three-way split yep. on it yourself. Um, Do you guys fall into me, that same category? For me, it depends on on what it is. Um, I'm trying to think of something I would have kept original. So I had a failed project, uh, 1969 Ford F100. Which, which um, okay. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Allow me to rephrase. One of my many failed projects was. <laughs> so this was an F100. It was a standard cab long bed, and it was, it was red. But after I got it for five hundred dollars, drove it home, and uh, I realized that hey, this thing had been repainted. It was originally. Um, kind of a soft green on the outside and then a much lighter green on the inside. So it had already been repainted and it had some, you know, some minor body damage. It was missing some trim. Um, but like a lot of the trim that was missing was green underneath. So it's like, well, I could get trim and put it on there, but then the trim is going to be mismatched. Some of it's going to be cleaner than the rest. And so I decided, well, I'm just going to strip it down and repaint the whole thing, which is, kind of a running thing with me is if it's you know too far gone i just rip it apart you know go from the frame up or at least that's the idea uh i haven't done that on everything um like my hawk i would have never done that too my uh my hawk was a, a 82 uh honda cb 450t motorcycle uh my my dirt bikes i don't really do that with too bad not that they need paint. Um, but yeah, trying to keep some originality, but that was just, I felt that was too far gone. But at the same time, uh, another project that I had a Fox body, um, the paint was literally coming off when you put your hand on it. Uh, it would come up uh, blue, but I kind of wanted to keep it that way. I was considering uh, stripping it and then clear coating what was left of the blue with the patina that was on it. I think that was a car with some good patina from the, uh, from the late eighties. Um, but yeah, it, it's such a case by case basis, uh, what needs to be redone and what doesn't. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like I won't completely repaint the five series, but the bumpers need to be repainted. So I'll probably just replace and repaint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think we hit on something interesting because I think it's not it's not always a clear cut answer, right? Um, so, Andy, what what about like um, what's something that would you consider picking up a car because you don't really have anything that has heavy patina? Would you consider with your money out of your account buying a vehicle with patina and not have the intention of? redoing it at some point down the line let me throw yeah. out a car for you let me throw out a car for you just to okay. give you a, a, an idea 69 boss 302 with original paint that's slightly worn is if everything's all original i don't know see it depends if it's if it's taken out of a garage this thing had uh uh, say 30,000 miles on it um, hasn't been tagged since 1978 um, it all seems to be original maybe um, a couple of pieces were 
like uh, on the engine were replaced with, you know, um, auto shop uh, pieces where it's like, oh, we had to replace this radiator hose because it bursts. So it's not concourse level original, but it's 99% original, you know, maybe some some uh, covers on this on the front seat because it was starting to show some wear stuff like that and you're starting to see maybe a little bit of oxide coming through on the fenders of the roof just a little bit not enough to really concern you but some of the sun was coming through the slats of the of the barn uh through the summers so it does have a little bit of uv off the top so that that orange is kind of kind of a yellow orange just on the top then that case my answer is paint it really man that's interesting see i thought that would be kind of the easiest i thought jeff was throwing you a softball where it's like because because here's my here's my reasoning because if i left it i'd never drive it why because it'd be too original i want i that would be a long drive and you know me i would want it i would want to modify it and i would want want it perfect so you you would almost rather than buy a car that is a kind of a basket case or or already has been ruined in in a sense by by saying someone has already painted it or taken the patina away and you would rather take that car that you can then not feel guilty about ruining the paint on it right or changing the paint or doing something of your own uh, volition then right so you probably would never buy a car with nice original paint with the intention of repainting it then if it no, has with, with the intention of of molesting it more or less no okay just to kind of close close this specific question out you have a choice between two cars they're both going to be given to you would you take the clean low mile 2000 cobra r um so I don't know like that was going to come up again 7,000 miles, uh, super clean, uh, not a rock chip to be found. Like it's just came off the assembly line, really well maintained. Or with a check for, uh, let's say $15,000, one that had been run into a ditch. Not totaled by any means, but, uh, you know, wrinkled fender, door skin's going to have to be replaced uh, you know, headlight, bumper cover, you know, but all of that will be covered to replace. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather have the perfect one or the one that had gone off of uh, turn one at Laguna Seca and kissed the wall? Hard choice. If because I- on one hand, you've got this original, wonderful, you know, uh, example of of the pinnacle of ford at the time and just you know this dream car but what can you really do with it because you don't want to be the guy that puts it into the wall at turn one at laguna seca right and, and if if that's the case you know if you're talking it, it's actually really a, an easier choice than it sounds like it's you know if it's a cobra r 2000 cobra r i'm gonna buy probably the one that needs the fender and bumper but not because i'm gonna drive that car I don't want, I don't want to, I would love to have money to have one sit around and, you know, have a, a collector, but I want to drive my cars. I, that's a really I interesting one into a wall. 
that's been that's pristine. But you'd want to race it. Yes. Jeff, what do you what do you think about that? Because he's coming at it from a completely different uh, angle than I think uh, you are, and then I even I didn't even consider that. Yeah, I, 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 it's hard to say, man. I mean, it's it's kind of his. It's kind of like comparing opinions, you know. Like you can't you can't really argue what someone else would. You know, you could just disagree that you would do something different, but no, I'm not asking if you think he's right or wrong about right. it. Just you know, what do you? Do you, I I find it fascinating, and it I'm gonna definitely, you know, put more thought into you know when I when I consider like our dream car segment, this has kind of changed the game a little bit, you know, sure, what do sure. I intend to do with it? Is this something that I want in my garage that I'm just going to drive to town every once in a while? Or is it something I actually will want to drive? Because a lot of vehicles that I have chosen in the past is, well, this is the one that I want, but do I want a driver or do I want a collector of it? See, that's the thing is usually I, I think to, to Andy's point, and, and I think him and I align in this, we want, we always are thinking of something we want to drive, right? Like, like there are always cars you want to, to think about as, as more of the idea of the car is interesting than it is to actually own it and drive it. I've always thought you want to own and drive a car, you know, like what's what, otherwise what's the point, you know, you're just, you're keeping something to keep it like, might as well let a museum have it and, right. and then you can just visit it. Right. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to go experience the car at some point. It's another to own it and drive it. And what would you be happiest with, you know, and I can appreciate cars, but it doesn't mean I necessarily want to own them. It's kind of like looking at some of these new cars, you know, I can appreciate the technology and I can appreciate what they offer and their performance, but it doesn't mean I want to own it. You know what I mean? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean that that all kind of spun off of uh, patina, and I think that's just to kind of bring it around. That's why I like the idea of patina in a sense, because um, when something has patina, if it gets a dent or a scratch, it's additive and not subtractive. You know, if if your Chevy got just you know, someone opened their door into it and just made a little thing. Would you even notice? And if you did, would it be, would you go, Oh no, I got to what buff this out versus, you know, you have a car repainted. I had my truck completely repainted and, um, three weeks later at the gym, someone opened their door into it. And that really is you, right? Very, I was livid. I was absolutely mm-hmm. like, no, I hadn't even like waxed this thing. Like it had two, two gallon, uh, two, you know, fills of gas. And now someone's got a door ding in it forever. Yeah. So I wonder if that's kind of adds to the, the driver mentality of it is, well, it's not original. Well, it's got some dings on it. You know, what am I going to do? Almost certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that worries me so much about my, my truck getting it painted is I'm worried that I'll be so afraid to drive it. Um, you know, with fresh paint on it that, you know, I'm going to be worried about every scratch I get, but I'm, I'm promising myself that that can't be the case, you know, but, but again, like the Chevy, you know, I, I drove it into the Falcon on a really bad day on accident and caved the whole fender in. I wasn't even that upset. I was able to get it most of the way out and I'm like, eh, it just adds to the character. You keep driving it, you know, like there's some level of, of 
like, eh, you know, like who cares? Like driving a car with, with that kind of patina and that kind of rough body. Like if that's what you're, if that's what kind of you're, you're going for, like you kind of don't care that much if something happens, unless you completely drastically alter the shape, it's got the cool vibe you're going for, you know, and it, 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 you know, it's still, it's still fun to cruise around in. So like, I don't know, man. Um, I think that's something that I like for my five series over the bullet is the bullet. I was always worried about that car. Yeah. I mean, it, it also got a, a small door ding behind the uh, passenger side door, just a little smaller than a dime, but that always bugged me. And I still think about it to this day. Um, but yeah, the, with the five series, you know, some, you know, I've got some fading on the front and back bumpers mm-hmm. and there's just a couple, like it's a straight body, but like, there's a couple of nicks, like they're not dense, but just like scratches, like almost a gouge, sort of just a deep scratch, mm-hmm. you know, to the paint, through the clear, to the paint, but not through the paint. But they're they're little, and so if I got, I noticed the Ranger had a new had a new uh, door ding and scrape uh, the other day, um, and it's it's less hurtful now that there's more than one. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Andy, do you have any final thoughts on you know, kind of patina and how it affects, uh, you know, how we view vehicles and how we drive them? I think we hit on it pretty good. All right. So I think this week we have a new game for everybody. This week we are going to play Will Randy Work On It? <laughs> Perfect. So we will we will throw out whatever cars, vehicles that we can think of, bikes included. And we will see if Randy will work on it. And so we'll, we'll, fr- we'll uh, frame it like uh, uh, Andy or I will say if Randy will work on it, and then he will answer, and whoever wins gets a point, right? Correct. All righty. Yeah. So you guys will guess if I will or not. So you say, you know, NSX, and then you know you vote yes or no, and then I'll say hard no. Who was, who was, yeah, hard <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, Andy, how about you lead us off, man? All right, I will go with a 2018 bullet. 2018 mm. bullet. On one hand, I think he would do like I could see him buying like a tuner and programming it in, but on the other hand, I could see him being, ah, oh, you know, I just I don't want to touch it. It's so it's so mint and perfect as it is, you know. It's it's such a it's such an enthusiast car. It's only one of uh, two thousand produced, and I don't want to, you know, uh, ruin the factory programming and blah blah blah. So I don't know. That's a tough one. I'm gonna have to say no for that reason. And his was so reliable that I think uh, I think no. I, I would I would have to echo that. I, it's for the for the same reasons. It's it's too new, low production. It's fairly mint. I'm gonna go with on that one. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty heavy no. There's I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that thing. Uh, at all i wouldn't even do the oil changes on it how about a 1975 triumph spitfire oh 
I'm going to have to go with a yes. I'm going to say yeah. Randy's, Randy's going to tinker with those, probably, maybe the carbs, and then he's going to realize that he doesn't know what he's doing, and then he's going to send it to someone. But he is going to put the carbs on it, and he is going to mess with stuff, and he's going to, like, change the oil and maybe do, like, breaks and stuff. So I could see I could see him messing with that kind of stuff. I would say That's- yes also, but not, yeah, like you said, like not super in-depth things. My, you know, minor tweaks and whatnot, but not something you would buy as a as a builder upper or something that needed heavy work to start with. Sure. I think we all understand that when we say work on, we mean tinker at the highest level. Um, <laughs> and you, you both you both get a point for that. I would absolutely tinker on that. I would because there's enough room to work in there too. Like uh, I've seen a lot of Spitfires. You can get you could sit down inside the the engine compartment on the wheel well and work on the, on the carburetors and that lots of room to work on that. Yeah. I would, I would tinker. Okay. Next one. I am going to go with the BMW Z3. New, no way. Especially if it's the automatic. I don't think I don't see him ever, ever messing with an automatic. (laughs) But oh, you know, you know. Wait, maybe I take this back. It is a BMW. He might change like a headlight bulb or something on it. <laughs> very light tinker. Ooh, yeah. I'm gonna say light tinkering. I'm gonna say very light, like the lightest of tinkering. The lightest. Like he might check the air pressure in his tires and shit. Like <laughs> that might be that might be See, Randy's extent of what he'll do. I'm I'm going to go with yes. On the basis of, I believe, at a period of time, Randy's wife really wanted one of these cars. Don't know if she still does or not. And that there would be some mandatory tinkering that would have to happen. So I will say yes. I, I think you you both get a point because I think Andy is what I think would happen and Jeff is what would really happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think this whole region of the car needs to be replaced. Whatever this is that's making a noise, we should just replace the region of the car. The oil is dirty. Replace the engine, Jeeves. (laughs) I popped the hood. I worked on it. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. I made sure that radiator cap was tight. Uh, Yeah, you did. Let me think here. All right. All right. Um, I'll I'll give you guys one. Okay. I'll give you guys one. Uh, 1992 F-150. Yes. I'm going to say we'll do stuff on that. Yeah. Yeah. I would would definitely work on that because that's something. uh, You guys remember that, that, uh, that walking tall movie with uh, the rock back when they still called him the rock. Yes, I do. There's that green F-150 in it. I love that thing. I think it just sits really nice. So that's the type of thing I would do, but that would be a little less engine, a little more suspension work. But yeah. What, just, uh, what year were you saying? 90. The brick, about, the brick about nose. 90? Yeah, yeah, 87 and 91 F F-150, I think, was in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, with that's like, with that's the like centered the up. I sent it up emblem. My dad had 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 an old that old Deep Forest Green F two fifty version. 
I'm a fan oh. of those. So yeah, I would I would work on that. And I think that would be legitimate work on a little we'll call it just above tinker. Just above tinker. work on. Okay, I'm gonna go here. Let's do uh nineteen sixty six Ford Bronco. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to have to give Randy a hard yes. He would definitely mess with this. He would have fun with it. Something he could get his hands into, you know, lots of room, lots of parts availability, easy access for everything, simple car to work on, really easy to tinker on and play with. He could take the kids out in it, you know, like easy, fun car for him to work on. And, and he could teach Walker a thing or two when he gets old enough. I'm going to say yeah, yes. Def- definite yes. I would say as well. Same, same reasoning. Lots of, lots of tinkering to be done there. Lots of, you know, tweaking, you know, upgrading of whatnot. Lots of off-road capability. I would say yes. Uh, that's mm-hmm. tough. I, I think it's a no. What? Really? No because way. Because the, the 66, nothing makes me angrier than people modifying... Uh, a first gen because there's so few of them left. If I could, you wouldn't give fix it, it. I could give it a yes if it was um, like kind of a ratted out one, like you see most CJ5s, like one I could afford. You know, it's pretty pretty messed up. But then again, I don't do big projects like that. But see, I wouldn't work on it because I wouldn't want to mess it up. That's, so you wouldn't you wouldn't fix the brakes if they were bad. I'd probably take it to someone who could make sure the brakes work perfectly because oh, man. also, as you guys stated, I would want to take <clears throat> the family out in it. I would want to strap Walker and Griffin in the back and, you know, the whole family go out. I might like put a winch on it, but I wouldn't do it. I would have someone properly, you know, mount a winch into it because that's not something I want to mess up. Oh, we both really messed that up, didn't we, Andy? <laughs> yeah. That was a hard misread right there. All right, so you're you're on the right track. Just that is kind of a very specific niche that you picked on that one. I'm gonna go 88 Porsche 911. I was about to say 1988 car myself, so that's interesting. That is interesting. Uh, I'm gonna say. Ooh, God, that's a tough one. That's a mm, that's a real pickle. Um, pickle, real pickle, pickle. Right? Yeah, that's like a yeah. I don't know. Ah, I'm in a tight spot. Yeah, I I think that Randy might check the tire pressure on a 1988 <laughs> Carrera, or like make sure it has antifreeze in it. Oh, come on, guys, pick that, pick up on that one. <laughs> I, I, get, I get it okay good um like, yeah there's I, no coolant in this whole car <laughs> guys i need to install a cooling system in this i can't find it anyway <laughs> um i'm gonna have to say no i think um i want to say yes i want to say he thinks he'll work on it and he'll tinker with it but i think that in reality he would just look at it and be like no i don't know what the hell i'm doing with this car and he would take it to someone who knows it. But I think he thinks he would do it. I, I think this is one that he would be willing to learn about it and because he wants to tinker with it. I think there's more of a drive to this one that I will say yes. 
I would definitely crawl under that car and poke around and want so bad to work on it, but I don't think I could. I think I would I would probably maybe take a couple of things off, like start to work on it and have a panic attack and go, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to mess this up, put it back together and just take to a mechanic and apologize for even touching it in the first place. <laughs> I think Andy's right that I would want to work on that one, but ah, man, not even thinking about the, the value of that vehicle. It's just, I might, it'd probably be too much witch, witchcraft for me. Did I, did I win around? You did. Damn. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've got one. I'm going to stick with the same year. Uh, 1988 Jaguar XJS. Hmm. What, what year again? Sorry. 88 Jaguar XJS. Which I know Randy has a very big soft spot for Jaguar of any year. Um, I don't think he would work on this though. I think this yeah. car is just too too luxurious, too estate, too too refined of an automobile for his hands to touch. He would want to though. He would want to. He has the drive to really think about working on it won't because he he doesn't want to screw it up and it's european so it's weird yeah i'm i'm gonna go with no also on that one this is a razor's edge because you said 88 xjs that's very specific if you would have said uh like a series two, you know, 81 to 91 XJ, the answer would have been yes. I would work on those. XJS is the V12 and no thanks. I would not work <laughs> on. Now, here's the thing. I would not work on the engine or the wiring on that car. But, but, but. I do think I'd work on other aspects of that car. I don't think I'd be afraid to touch the suspension or the brakes or the body or the interior. So I would work on that car, not the engine, but I would work on that car. On the XJS? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we both failed. Wow. We're, we're really good friends. We know him so well. Well, that's just showing you guys can take <laughs> Go out on a limb a little bit more. I'll work on right. some things, but I have to have the. It has to be the, the drive has to be there, and the um, and it has to just be a specific level of complicated. Like the V12, I'm not going to touch, but the straight six, yeah, there's going to be some more room in there. Why don't you throw us one? You got a car for us that it'll stump us. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I I had a a, a couple. Um, so how about a first gen lightning? I yes. was going to throw that one out there and that was going to be a hundred percent. Yes. On my yes. vote. Yep. So what were your answers? Yes. 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 I would certainly work on, on a first gen. Cause I mean, it's, it's, 
it's basically the truck that we mentioned earlier, but just, you know, slightly more complicated, a little more rare, but that's, that's something that I feel like I could, I could probably get a handle on. Mm, anything uh, else? Any other ones that, what are what's someone that you think that we would, what's one that you think might trip us up a little bit? Six, Throw, 60, 65 Mustang. First, first two years of a Maverick. Yes. Ford Maverick. You're working on it. I say you're working on it because it's a Maverick. It's not a Mustang. It's not really a high-end, ultra-precision classic, something really super cool. It's a, it's a Maverick. It's an economy car. It's kind of a piece of junk, but they're awesome when they're done right. And I think it's something that you wouldn't feel super bad about not getting super right. And you could get it and figure it out and learn as you go. So you won't be afraid to kind of tinker with it, you know, learn how to work on drum brakes, maybe upgrade it to disc, do something there where you're kind of like, you could throw some performance parts at it, you throw some new parts at it, you can learn how to, how to tinker on some of that stuff without feeling too guilty about ruining a nice original rare car and have some fun with it, make some power, do some fun shit with it. Jeff is completely right in theory. God damn it. <laughs> but yes. in, in reality, because with, with that, I should have worked on the 69 F100. Yeah. I There's had a no feeling that I was coming. No reason I couldn't have done it on that one. That That's kind of my curveball is it sounds very much like something I would do, but I have something a little simpler and a little easier to work on that I simply didn't. So yeah. history shows that I would not, although it seems like I would. Okay, I, I yeah. have I have a tiebreaker, and I think this might be might be a, a fun one. If you guys have any others, we can still do them, but I want to uh throw this one out there uh before the extra credit. 2001 BMW 540i. I knew it was going to be E39. <laughs> I knew it. Great um, in theory, terrible in practicality. God, that's a tough one because, you know, uh, you have a really good opportunity right now to be working on it and go get it from its resting place and then drive it home and work on it. But will you? Hmm. You know, will life get in the way and make you not work on it? Hmm. I, I thought this might be a, a bit of a, a, a stumper because this is a little bit my friend telling me if I got something that I'm never going to end up working on or not. Um, you know, where, you know, history has shown that I don't work on things, but at the same time, since I've had those failed projects, I have also successfully, uh, you know, restored, um, you know, a, a small dirt bike and I've properly maintained the vehicles I have now. And I have done smaller projects on, on the Ranger and on, uh, the, the five series already. Um, I'm going to have to say, I know you want to work on it. I know you really want to work on it. And in theory, you want to work, you like the idea of working on it. And I'm going to say that on this car, given its low, low price, that you, 
you purchase it for and the little subtle modifications that we've talked about you wanting to do i think that you will work on it in some small capacity no surgery you're not swapping it to a manual anytime soon but i think you might throw maybe a have a bumper painted maybe you'll install it or maybe you'll put a balance on it or you'll replace a kidney in the in the grill that's popping out or something <laughs> like that yeah i i i think Maintenance will dictate tinkering as well as his need to mess with something. And also the fact that he can't do the show anymore if he doesn't tinker with it. So, yes. <laughs> I, I think I think Jeff had the right idea and Andy had the specifics uh, figured out. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to work on it. Uh, I think Andy brought up the right point that even just maintenance is going to be a bit of a project. Um, doing the cooling system itself is going to be m more project than I've done in uh, in a, a long while. So that's already uh, going to be something. Um, but since you guys are still tied up, we uh, we need to do a couple more until we can break this tie. Set match. Mm, Sixty six Mustang driver quality Mustang. I'm going to say no. Based on his previous answers, I'm going to say no. I don't think he'll – I think he'll be too timid, won't want to touch it, and is – is uh, is he, he would want to. He would talk about it. He would think about all the great things he could do with it. But then in the end, he would just kind of drive it as is and then take it to someone when something happens and needs to be worked on. I, I want to disagree, but I can't. I, I think you're 100% right. Damn. Uh, we, I think we're all in agreement. Um, so with, with that SVO. Ooh. Ooh, that's, that's a tinker car. I'm going to have to say no. I'm going to say that there's too much wizardry going on in there that he doesn't want to upset the fine balance of a speed density controlled SVO Mustang and have it not run correctly and not be able to get it to work. Um, he might change the brakes though, but I don't know. That requires like lifting the whole car up and stuff. So I'm still going to have to say no. It's such a weird, rare car with really hard to find parts. I don't think he'd want to risk breaking something on it. It's not that rare. I, I'd go on this one. Andy's going to take this round because I, I would yeah. work on that. Because I understand your point. Jeff, Jeff has good points uh, on why I might not. But again, it's it, they're not super rare. They're not super hard to work on because it is just, uh, you know, a, a turbo 2.3. Like there is room to work on in there. There's plethora of parts. And most importantly, I have people around me like you guys that could help me work on it and and you know help me with the knowledge of how to work on something like that oh no he's signing me up to work on a 2.3 80s car that's gonna suck <laughs> why, why do i think we've been down this road before feel like we've been down a, a road where we tried to work on a 2.3 liter mustang you know yeah exactly but did, we work on that? did, it, did it work ever we did we did drive no. it to the end of the street in one gear right 
Yeah. Because it that, wouldn't it wouldn't hold second. It would go to second and then shift back. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the front main main was leaking, and the rear main was leaking. Did we ever make we any was still bad quality progress on that? Like, did we ever really do stuff? Yeah, we we changed the transmission. We swapped out the uh, A four LD, mm. and it, the one that we got to replace it was locked up. So mm. we went from one that slipped to one that wouldn't change gear. So mm. we did some significant exterior modification. We oh, did. Boy. Oh boy! Should yeah, we, we post do. up pictures of the Fox bodies in the group uh, to our <laughs> Instagram so we can show Please. kind of the difference between, like, say, my Fox body and then the one you owned? Yeah, I think I can do that. that and the one I happen to own. And the, yeah. Yes. Well, yours yes, is still kind of a Fairmont. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the Fairmont uh, maybe next week. That's that's something we should touch on. Um. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a game. Uh, thanks for the vote of confidence. Uh, most of those were no. But... I'm going to vote that was a no vote. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, we've learned a lot today. We've learned that um, e ser- the 8 series doesn't sell very well. Um, we've also learned that Morgans are really cool in coming to the U.S. We've learned that um, patina is very subjective, and we've learned that uh, the host of an automotive podcast can't work on cars, <laughs> but wants to. But wants to. It's and you know it's the thought that counts, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what it yes, is. It's you definitely say, not the. Say yes. It's not. It's not the act sure. of doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Garage Night, a part of the Tiny Dog Podcast Network. You can ta- contact us, excuse me, at Tiny Dog Podcast Network at Outlook.com. Ratings and reviews on whatever you listen to us on is always hugely helpful and appreciated. Uh, you can also reach us on our Instagram page, Garage Night Podcast. Uh, we'll be posting up uh, more pictures there um, as the Bronco gets uh, closer to paint and goes through paint. And uh, we'll get some Fox body pictures up there uh, this week. Um, and be sure to check out the other shows on the network, too. Uh, we have a video game podcast called Just Another Side Quest that comes out every other Thursday. Uh, if you like dirt bikes, uh, definitely check out Loose Spokes uh, on Friday. Um, and all these shows, and we've got a gallery, all sorts of stuff at tinydogpodcast.com. Um, I did kind of a, there's a, a blog on there, and so far I'm uh, updating kind of where the network is at and where we're going and what we're trying to do. Uh, so without further delay, uh, from all of us here at the network, I uh, wish you a good night. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Garage Night Podcast. A special thanks for Jeff Tracy and Annie Tamlin for joining the show this week. Until next week, keep turning wrenches.